the one thing I really enjoy about God is he understands uh, my need for things to be simple. How many of you appreciate simple things? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's so much easier to live life when things are simple and instead of complicated. How many of you, though, feel like you have a gift for complicating things? Yeah, we do. We we do. We we certainly do, and and especially in terms of something like salvation. And this is a salvation message, and salvation is very simple, um, but we certainly do complicate it. And I think that is a plan of our enemy to confuse us, to get us off track, and to complicate things. <clears throat> but let me ask you this: If you have a child and you know that that child is lost, and you have the ability to get a message to your child to tell them how to get home, are you going to make it complicated? Well, first you need to take a left, and then you need to go two miles and take a right, then make a U-turn and go through that traffic circle, and then go about five miles down the road east, and then turn northwest and go through the tunnel. What? I'm just going to stay where I'm at. It's going to be easier to do that. But if we had a way to get a message to a child that was lost, we're going to make it simple. It's going to be like this. Head down this road. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And that's what God has made salvation for us. And yet still, we we complicate things. So this morning, what I want to do is try try to help us to simplify maybe some of the the, the confusion that we have put on salvation and come out with another reason to be thankful to God that he hasn't made it difficult and he hasn't made it hard for us and that he understands that we appreciate, that we appreciate simple things. And he, he does understand us because he made us and he walks with us. So uh, he knows what we need. So I want us to look in Acts chapter 16 and we're going to read, um, begin with verse number 25. All right, so Acts chapter 16, uh, begin with verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I want to stop right there. Can you imagine the scene can you imagine being there when this happened uh how how many of you have ever been in an earthquake before we probably haven't haven't realized it we haven't felt it but you know we see it on television and we hear people talk about it you know the dishes falling to the floor and things falling off shelves but imagine the imagine what it says here that uh, the prison was shaken and the doors opened and the bands were loosed. That, that's amazing to think about. All right, let's move on. And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are still here. Then he called for a light and sprang in, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. 
and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So I say again, if, if you have a child that is away from home and they need to get home, and you have a way to get a message to them, you're going to make it simple. And that's exactly what God did for us. <clears throat> because God wants us home. Amen? Because this world is not our home. So that's the way it is with our soul's salvation. It's simple. I'll say it this way. A seeking sinner and a seeking Savior will always meet. Think about that. A seeking sinner and a seeking Savior will always meet. Now, I remember many, many years ago, um, I don't know if you remember when, uh, you remember the Catawba Mall? Y'all remember that? Okay. And so we went to the Catawba Mall, and I had reached that point in my life where I could venture out by myself and didn't have to stay with mom and dad all the time. And and we could go and look places we wanted to look and, and go to the stores we wanted to go in, and, and it was fine. But one day after doing that, after we went and we separated and I looked at everything I wanted to look at, I started to look for them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. I still to this day believe they were hiding from me. They won't admit that, though. No, I'm just kidding. But I couldn't find them anywhere. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I thought, I don't know what to do. And so I thought, I wonder if the car is still here. So I went out and looked and the car was still there. So I got in the car and I waited in the car. That made sense to me. But, you know, a good while later, Mom and Dad and Robert came out and they were not happy because I, I, they were not happy, you can imagine. And so what was explained to me was, this the next time this happens or if this happens again you just go you find some place to sit down find some place to sit down and we will find you uh because you can imagine and looking for each other we were probably running circles and and just not running into each other but if you sit still we're going to find you and that's the best thing to do and that made good sense and that was that was a simple way to handle things so it was explained to me if you're ever lost this is what you need to do and i didn't have to guess anymore so that's that's what we see in this scripture this morning acts chapter 16 we have a man asking what must i do to be saved what must i do to be saved and god has made that simple for us how do you know that well let me just give you a couple of of, of things here that will help us to understand that. Way back in Isaiah, uh, chapter 35, verse 8, he is talking about the, ki the king's road to heaven, the king's highway to heaven. And what he says is that the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. Now what that means is that even a stranger without good sense will be able to find his way on the gospel road because it's that simple. Even a stranger with no good sense will be able to find his way on the gospel road because it is that simple. It's so simple and it's so plain, and yet we stumble over it. We imagine to ourselves, what am I going to tell a person if they ask me how to be saved? You know, and we think we, we know, and we think I'd say this. 
But then then you're thinking, oh, I left this out. I got to say this. Oh, and, and I've heard somebody say you need to do this. And 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 I don't think we need to leave this out. And before you know it, you've got this jumbled up mess of requirements and things that you have to do that God never intended for you to be concerned about. He even said um, in Matthew eleven twenty five that these he thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. And he's trying to get us to see that that even the little children can understand. Uh, it's that simple. It's that simple. So he is he stresses throughout scripture how simple it is. Because why would he why would he make it simple? Why would God make salvation simple? To get home. But do you think possibly he makes it simple because he wants people to get saved? That's exactly right. We know, and I say this often from Second Peter three nine, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is not playing keep away with salvation. He's not doing that. And he wants you to be saved even more than you want to be saved. You ever thought about that? <laughs> he wants you to be saved even more than you want to be saved. And he, he did everything that was necessary for that to be able to happen. So we are left with the question that the, that the jail, jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Looking at that word, the Greek word is sozo, sozo. And that means to be delivered. To be delivered. Okay, delivered from what? So we look at this story that we just read. And what does this jailer need to be delivered from? Does he need to be delivered from an earthquake? Well, no, because the earthquake is already over. Some might say, well, maybe he needs to be delivered from his superiors because if the prisoners leave, then he's going to be killed. He's going to be killed. But the prisoners didn't leave. They're still there. So what, what does he need to be delivered from? You know, churches give an invitation at the end of service and ask people if they want to be saved that they can be do you want to make a decision to be saved today again we ask saved from what saved from what the bible even says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved again we ask saved from what so i think the best way to get an answer is certainly to look at the word of god and I want us to look at uh, an answer from a, from a heavenly messenger, uh, from an angel. And I think everybody here remembers the story of the birth of Christ and how an angel came to Mary and came to Joseph and made the announcement to them. And do you remember what the angel told them? This is what he said to them. This is what the angel said. Thou shalt call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. So to be saved is to be saved from sin. To be saved is to be saved from sin. 
But one thing we run into in this world is that people do not like that word. People don't like the word sin. They don't like to be told that they sin. And as a matter of fact, we have taken a lot of things that the Bible calls sin, and we've kind of changed what we think about or say about those things. You know what I'm talking about. Um, remember when drunkenness was a sin, and yet now it's, it's considered a disease? It's a little less, it's a little easier to swallow that way, isn't it? It's not a sin, it's a disease. Well, sin is a disease, but it's still a sin. That's what the Bible says. There's so many other things we could get into, and, and some, some of the things that I have written here will offend you. Sin is offensive. It's mostly offensive to God, and it is offensive to mankind when we're involved in some of these things, and then you tell me that it's a sin, and that's offensive to me. That offense is already built in there. Things like having rebellious children, you know, oh, well, they're just adjusting. They'll, they'll get there eventually. What about shacking up? <laughs> we, call that co we call that cohabitation now. Cohabitation sounds so much easier to swallow. What about the murder of babies or abortion? Oh, that's just freedom of choice. What about homosexuality? The Bible's clear about that. It's a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle choice. So even gossip, we, we can get involved in gossip and be involved in gossip, and we can tell somebody, but this is a prayer request, so I just want you to pray about it. Did you hear about so-and-so, blah, 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 blah? Well, it's a prayer request. I want you to pray about it. You know, so we, 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 we say about sin what we want to say. We make it what we want it to be, and we, we redefine things so that we're okay with it, never mind what God says about it. You, you know this is true. Um, it's true. There's no other way around it. And so we, we define things the way that we want them to be. And when evil things happen in this world, and there's so much evil that happens uh, in this world, when that happens, then on, we hear about it on the news and you never hear them talk about the fact that, that people are, are wicked and that this is evil and sinful. It's just, that, oh, they're sick. Th these people are sick. They're, they're just sick. And we can agree with that too, and, but we can also say, well, they're sin sick. That's the sickness that, that people have. That's the sickness that everybody has, being sin sick. And, and it's, it's offensive, but it's the truth. And we just need to get past it. We need to get past ourselves and how we want things to be and look at what the Bible says and believe it. And believe what the Bible says. The Bible points out that the very root of my problem and yours is sin, bottom line. And we agree with that. We preach that all the time. We've heard it every Sunday in church, every Wednesday in church. Sin is our problem. Sin is our problem. That's the root of our problem. We're born with a sin nature. We're not born with some kind of a spark of godliness or divinity. We are born with seeds of rebellion. That's just the way it is from, from, from the very beginning. And that's bad news. 
Because if something isn't done, if something doesn't change, then we're headed on a road to hell. Bottom line, if something doesn't happen, if something doesn't change, we're on our way to hell. But there's good news because Jesus Christ came so that he could save us from sin. There's our good news right there. That's, that's the news of the gospel, that Jesus came to save us from our sin. So I want to break that down just a little bit for you. We're, we're saved from the penalty of sin. You know, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, I think we all know, we've all uh, studied and read about back in Roman times, there were a lot of horrific ways that people, that people were put to death. We know one, one way that we know very much about is crucifixion. The Romans used to crucify people. Also, what they would do is they would, they would throw people to wild animals and let the wild animals tear them up and eat them. And another way that they, that they, that they killed people um, is, and, and we've spoken about this before too, you probably remember, that sometimes when people would commit a certain crime, what they would do is they would take a dead body and they would tie or attach this dead body to the, to the criminal. And everything that that criminal did, uh, walking, sleeping, sitting, working, everything that they did, that dead body was attached to them. And a lot of times this, dead, this person had died because of a disease called leprosy uh, or some other disease. But you can imagine that as a body is on you that it's going to decompose and, and things, nasty things, disgusting things that we don't want to talk about in here today are going to happen. And eventually what will happen, that disease will overtake the person that is, that is attached to the dead body. And they will go through a long and agonizing and humiliating death being attached to that dead body. And what scripture tells us is this, that we all have a body of death that is tied to us. We all have a body of death that is tied to us, and that is called sin. And it will have the same effect on us. It will end up killing us. It will end up in our death because the wages of sin is death. But again, the good news is that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins, and that includes the penalty of sin. But not only the penalty of sin, but he, he saves us from the power of sin, the power that sin has. Now, sin's a powerful thing. Um, sin is a very powerful thing, and we may feel weak and helpless against it. But when we get saved, Scripture tells us that we're not only saved from hell, and let me state right here that a lot of people think that's the only reason you get saved, is get saved from going to hell. But not only are we saved from going to hell, but another thing that he does is, is he gives us a, a, new, a new nature. He gives us that new nature. And he cleans us up from the inside out. And he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to have victory over sin in our lives. We can have victory over sin in our lives. 
these things that we feel like we can't stop doing and they're so powerful against us that we can't we quit, can't quit that's just a lie from from satan because we have power to say no to these things and to not do these things and to live a better way than we're living we have the power to do that because of the holy spirit within us it's not your power your own power working and hard hard and striving through your own power and your own ability and your own four, five, ten, fifteen step programs, but it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to overcome sin and live a better way. You know, I, I, I read a story about a, a man in England who was in prison and he was pardoned by the, by the queen. And uh, he was told, you have been pardoned, you are free, you are a free man now. And he made no, you know, no response, no emotion, didn't, didn't make it, it seemed like it didn't face him one bit. And the, he was told again, you are free, you have been pardoned. And so he opened up his shirt and he had a cancerous growth that was there. And he said, what can your queen do about this and the power that this has over me? And that's what Jesus has told us that the Holy Spirit can do for us. Power over sin. The ability to say no to sin and the ability to not sin. And that's good news for us because I know, I know many of us feel helpless against certain things in our lives. We just need to remember and to believe it that we have power over that. So not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, which is death and hell, but we are also saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the power of sin that will continue, that we will continue to struggle with until we get to go home to heaven. We have power over that. And I think that, you know, I think about, when I think about that and those, those two things, I think about that song, uh, Rock of Ages where it says, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. That's what the blood of Jesus can do for me, and that's what the blood of Jesus can do for you. So the Bible says that sin no longer has dominion over us, and what, that's, what that boils down to is that there is no sin that you can't gain victory over by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no sin that you can't have victory over. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the sin in your life. How many times is the pastor going to say, I can't want you to think about your sin. You know, I don't want you to think about it longingly. I hope you don't. I hope you think about it. You think, I wish I didn't have to do that. And what he's telling us here is you don't. You don't have to do that. That's the simplicity of it. And, but the sadness of it is that some of us continue to be led around by Satan and think that we don't have any control over what we're doing and we forget that Jesus has broken the power of sin. He has taken care of sin, death, hell, and the grave because he could and he did. And so you just need to claim victory over those things in your life. I need to claim victory over those things in my life today. So being saved from sin that's what salvation is. But I want, us to, I want us to talk a little bit 
about the man, the, the person of salvation. You can't talk about salvation, salvation without talking about Jesus. And in verse 31 of our scripture this morning, we're, we're, it's, we're told who to believe in. We're told to, to believe in God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Believe on him and you will be saved. Now I want you to notice here that it doesn't say believe on a plan of salvation. It's believing in the man of salvation. And there is a difference. Because a lot of people will say, I believe in the plan of salvation. And, I, and you know what the plan of salvation is. The, the Roman road, the, the scriptures that help us to understand our, our sin and our need for salvation. But it is not the plan of salvation that saves me. It is not a prayer that saves me. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that saves me. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that saves you. He's, he's, he's the one. He's the only one. So let me say this. It's not by works. It's not a feeling. It's not salvation isn't gained by trying. It's not by baptism. It's not with good intentions. I'm not saved by feeling guilty enough or feeling sorry enough. I'm not saved by confessing all of my sins. And I'm not saved by asking for forgiveness for all of my sins. Because if it, that were the case, then I would be relying on something that I had done instead of something that Jesus Christ had done. It's hard to wrap our mind around it, but just let's make it easy. Salvation is available only through Jesus Christ and what he has done. But there's so much confusion there. And we think about repentance, and we think about confession, and we think about asking for forgiveness. And then we start to make these words interchangeable because they all mean the same thing, right? Confession and repentance and forgiveness, they're all the same thing. So we'll throw all these words into a discussion about salvation when we're trying to help somebody understand what salvation is, and we'll throw these in there, and we'll try to explain it, and then we'll say, and you have to do this, and then you have to do that, and then you have to do it, do it in that order. And it becomes so confusing because somebody else will add something else and somebody else will take one of those out and and it gets really confusing but those three words those three things they are three different things entirely they're not interchangeable they are different i want to look at those very briefly and, and we're just about done but let's take a look at those those three words let's take a look at the word first of all repentance now what repentance is is to have another mind or to change your mind in respect to God and sin and self. A lot of times we say that repentance means to turn, to turn from this way and go this way. But it is, it is a change of mind, and it's to have another mind concerning God and sin and self. And it can be preceded by sorrow. And even though sorrow can lead to repentance, Sorrow and repentance are not the same thing. Now, for a Christian, repentance or turning from sin is normal and it's good and it's something that we should do every day. Now, last week, 
Last week we talked about a little bit about whether or not repentance is necessary for salvation. And what I should have said is yes and no because because so many times people believe that repentance is feeling sorry and making sure that you feel sorry enough and that is not salvation. That is not what salvation is. But this is this is what this is what it is. From hearing the word of God and being dealt with by the Holy Spirit. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I am a sinner. And so when I get to that point, I'm agreeing with with God. And that is when I see my need for salvation. And I cannot be saved. I cannot be saved without changing my mind about sin. I cannot. I can't just hear about Jesus. Oh, that's a good man. I like him. I'd like him in my life. I want to be saved. But I cannot be saved unless I, I change my mind about God and sin and myself. Bottom line. And once I have reached that point after salvation, then I can begin this new life with a new heart. And I've got the power of the Holy Spirit within me to help me to turn from sin instead of always giving in to that sin. And since I'm saved, I now hate sin, and I have this new heart, and so repentance can be a part of my life every day, turning from sin, turning from the temptation, and I need to try to do it every single time because Romans tells me that I'm dead to it. But I cannot be saved unless I reach a point where I understand through the Word of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit that I am a sinner and that I need, that sin needs to be dealt with. And God's the only thing that can do, do anything about it. He's the only one who can do anything about it. Because up to that point, I'm fine. I'm living my life. Life is good. Living life, living large. I make some mistakes. I do some bad things. But I think overall, when I get to heaven, or when I get up there into the pearly gates, they're going to weigh it out. My good's going to weigh more than my bad. But you have to change your mind about that because that is not the way it is and that will not happen. You have either been covered by the blood, the blood has either been applied or it has not. You have either reached that point where you're, you know you're a sinner and you need to be saved and you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or you haven't. It's a pass-fail situation. Bottom line. Now, there's also a big difference between turning from sin and asking and begging and pleading and waiting for God to forgive you for those sins. I ask you as a Christian, have, have you been forgiven or not? As a Christian, have you been forgiven? Have your sins not been paid for according to Scripture? Is that not what Scripture tells us? So what should we do when we sin? You know, it's been ingrained, it's been, it's been taught uh, and preached, and we have subscribed to this for most of our lives, that it is necessary and it is important for us to make sure that we ask forgiveness for every sin. And I'm going to tell you now, I can't do that. And I will never do that because I sin too much. And I sin sometimes and I don't even realize that I'm sinning. And so what if I forget a sin? Or what if I disagree and I think well, that's not really a sin? 
that's just this. So I don't really need to ask for forgiveness for that. But forgiveness has already been given. And it's been paid for once for all. So William, what do you do when you sin? What do you do about sin? Well, the Bible says, stop it. Don't do it. Stop sinning. Turn from it. Turn from that sin. Because you can, because as a Christian, you have the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. So what you and I need to do is we need to make the decision to turn away from the temptation. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm tempted by something, and nine times out of ten I will give in to that usually, then I need to get away from that temptation. I need to turn from that temptation. That just makes sense. But it also makes sense to do this. And I want you to hear me. It makes sense to hold in very high regard the blood of Jesus Christ and what the blood accomplished for you and for me. It paid our sin debt. So instead of begging and instead of hoping and pleading for forgiveness, we can be grateful to Jesus that he has forgiven us for our sins because his blood and only his blood was acceptable and only his blood could accomplish that great feat. So we need to hold in high regard the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead of wondering if we've been covered and if this sin's been covered, understand that everything has been paid for already by his blood. There is no formula in Scripture for daily forgiveness. There is formula, there is a formula in the Old Testament for yearly forgiveness. And you remember this. There's the system of sacrifice where you had a priest and he offered he offered sacrifice um, over and over, year after year, he offered sacrifices for sin. And this little by little forgiveness, or this year to year forgiveness, was Old Testament. But we are now under a new covenant. That was Old Covenant. We are now under a new covenant. We have forgiveness that was paid for once and for all. So our response to sin is we turn from it. We turn from it. We, we don't engage in it anymore. And we thank God for what he did for us on the cross because it is what? It is finished. And yet we, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the blood. And yet still we're afraid that if we forget to ask forgiveness for that one thing, what is that going to do to our salvation? What is that going to do to our relationship? What is, what is that going to do to me? We forget the power of what has already been done. And then we've got, conf we've got confession. And, you know, like I said, we interchange repentance and forgiveness and confession, and we throw them in there all together. But this is what confession is. A, a confession is agreeing with God that sin is wrong. Confession is agreeing with God that sin is wrong. That this sin or that sin that you are tempted by or that you have given into is wrong. And also, the Bible says about confession that we should confess our sins to each other. We need to ask each other to pray for us as we are le learning that we have the power to turn from temptation and we have the power to turn from sin. Now, confession does not mean that God comes down 
and gives you another little dose of forgiveness because we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven once for all. And because of that, this is, this is something that you and I as Christians should be able to do. We should be able to be honest with one another with our struggles. We hide our struggles. Because if Joe knows what I deal with and what I struggle with, he'll not have anything to do with me. He may even go and tell somebody else, and then what most would call a prayer request, which is really gossip, is going to get around, and William's going to get a reputation. And, and people are going to talk about William behind his back. But the bottom line is we all struggle. And we've all, because of the blood of Jesus, we've been forgiven. So let's, let's confess our sins to one another and let's pray for each other. Let's not tear each other down. Let's build each other up. That's the intention that God had in telling us this. So being fully accepted by Jesus Christ means that I can also be fully transparent with my brothers and my sisters. And they're going to pray for me. And they're not going to judge me. And they're not going to talk about me. And they're not going to look down on me. But they're going to pray for me. That's the intention. That's the way things are supposed to go. Unfortunately, we, we muddle those things up when he's made it, made it very simple. So salvation is not about repenting enough or confessing enough or asking for forgiveness enough or feeling sorry enough. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Bottom line. So simple. So simple. And he, Jesus Christ, has got to be the object of our faith. He has to be. Him and no one else. So he's the man. <laughs> Jesus is the man. He is the man of salvation. So what's the method? How do we get there? Verse 31 says you got to believe. you got to believe. Believing entails understanding that I sin, I'm a sinner, my sin will send me to hell, but Jesus Christ dealt with that on the cross. He paid for my sin, and I can accept that, and I can be saved. He says, believe, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus or believe on Jesus? Is there really a difference? Well, you can say there is because believing in usually means you've got an intellectual thing going on. But believing on, I think, is, is more of a spiritual thing. And what I have found is this illustration, and I hope this helps. Now, think of a man who does not want to fly because he is afraid to fly. And when you ask him about it, he says, I know intellectually that things are going to be okay, but I, I just can't handle it. And then one day he realizes, hey, I'm grown up. I've wasted so much time driving places when I could fly there and get there so much quicker. So he goes and he buys a ticket and he gets on board and he buckles himself in and he makes his, makes his way to his destination and he's okay. So before he believed in airplanes. Yeah, I believe in airplanes. Planes are those things that you get in and you fly up in the air and sometimes they crash. And that's why I don't like to fly on them. I believe, I believe in airplanes, but there's a difference now because he believes on the airplane. He has changed his mind about the airplane itself and what the airplane can provide for him. 
So he believes on the airplane, just like you and I have to believe on Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in this world that believe in Jesus. They're going to say Jesus was was alive. He was real. I can read it. It's a historical fact. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Yeah. But these people, though they have an intellectual understanding of who he is, have never made the decision to believe on him and to accept him and his offer of salvation. There are a lot of people in Jesus' time that could look right at him and see that he was real and say, yeah, I believe Jesus is real. But just saying Jesus is real is not going to get you to heaven. There's got to be a change of mind about sin and self and God. And I read about one of the early church fathers uh, who helped translate the Bible from Greek to Latin. His name was Jerome. And he had a dream, and I, I like how, how this explains it as well. He said he had in this dream that Jesus came to his house to visit him. And he wanted to give Jesus a gift. And, and so he got all the money that he had in his house, and he put it together, and he offered it to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, and he said, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. And so he said, oh, okay. So then he went, and he gathered everything that he owned. And he took all that and put it together, and he offered it to Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't want all that stuff. I don't want your possessions. And then Jerome said, well, Lord, what do you want? He goes, I want your sin. That's what I came here to get. He came to save us from our sins. So Jerome said, in my dream, I gave Jesus my sin, and he gave me eternal life. And that is a beautiful, that, you hear it said that salvation is a beautiful exchange. That's the beautiful exchange. I give him all my sin, and he gives me salvation. I give him all my shame and all my guilt, and I have a change of mind that I need him because of my sin. I need him. And that beautiful exchange takes place. Beautiful. And he never asks, hey, can we reverse that? Because you're just, you're just too awful. <laughs> you're just too bad. He will never say that because he loves us. And he came to do that. He came to save us from our sins. It says in Scripture, Suffer little, little, little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So it seems like he's telling us that the children can get it. But sometimes as adults, we just mess it up and we muddy the waters because we try, we try and make it difficult when it's very, very simple. And I'm going to tell you the hard part of salvation, the difficult part, the really, really uh, massive, difficult, hard part of salvation, Jesus took care of it for us. Jesus took care of it for us at the cross. He took care of the hard stuff. He took care of all of it. And for us, it's just one step away. Having the faith of a child and accepting what it is that he's telling us. So we get to that point because we have heard from the word of God and we're being dealt with by the Holy Spirit. And we reach that point where we say, I need to be saved. And you can save me.
save me. And that's it. That's it.